Hello, I'm Peter Laws, and this is a sermon-only episode of the Creepy Cove Community Church podcast. If you'd like to hear the full church service, complete with strange comedy, special guests, and notices like you've never heard before, then all the shows are available for free. Just visit creepycove.com to find out more. But if you just want to hear a sermon, a time of quiet reflection, and a song, then this is for you. I'd be grateful if you could check out patreon.com forward slash creepycove to find out how you can support the show and get lots of exclusive member benefits. But for now, I'll shut up. Here's your sermon. Thanks. Well, hello, everybody. It's, uh, it's good to be back with you once again to explore a topic which I think is relevant to every single one of us. Uh, the idea that we all worry, that we all have very very serious worries, some trivial worries, and that no matter what those worries can be, they can, they can really distract us in life. They can fragment our focus. That's kind of what we were talking about last week, where we heard Jesus preaching a sermon about worry, and he used the word merimeneo, which is a Greek word uh, to describe being fragmented and distracted in our minds. Seth, just earlier, was saying that that makes total sense to him because now that he's turning into a fly, when he looks at the world, he sees a fragmented view of what is before him. He doesn't just see one of me talking right now. He says like, how many? About, about 200. Oh, that's horrible. That's so freaky and so horrible. Um, and that's what can happen. Worry can fragment our minds and, um, and our view of life. And so we want to try and work out how we can deal with it. And last week I talked about how we can end up worrying about things that in some ways are not that big of a deal. You know, things that are not ours to worry about. For example, we might be worried about placing unfair expectations on ourselves and we lose sleep over things that really we shouldn't even expect ourselves to do or achieve because we have to be human beings. Um, things that shouldn't really bother us. Or maybe we're worrying about things that haven't happened yet and maybe never will happen. However, there are obviously some times in our life when we really do have a good reason to worry. And Seth uh, Brundle has shared with us this morning that he's gradually turning into a human-fly hybrid, which will eventually reach total fusion. To be honest, Seth, if that was me, I'd be pretty damn worried too. So what do we do in the face of the worries that we have? For anyone listening to me, some of you guys have got genuine proper worries. Worries that really do throw us into fear and concern. Well, I think there are two ways of looking at Jesus' words in our passage last week. We explored the idea that when he says, don't worry, it could be seen as an urgent command, you know, that he sees the danger in letting worry distract us from our life. But on the other hand, I don't see any reason why you can't read these words here as, uh, as reassurance, as a kind of, Hey, listen to me, don't worry. Now, you might not believe this, but it's not as bad as you think. You're going to get through this. Now, the idea of God's calming voice in the midst of our stress is all over the Bible. Uh, God says the words fear not or don't be afraid a lot in the Bible. Have you ever heard that idea that the Bible says fear not 366 times? I heard that once when I went to a church and the guy at the front was like, it's, it's 366 times. One for each day, including a leap year. Well, as cool as that sounds, it's actually a Christian urban myth. It doesn't technically say that 366 times. It's actually more like about 103 times, but that's still a lot. The consistent message of the Bible is that God sees people who are in pain and distress and worry, 
And the message seems to be that he wants to step in and say, breathe, slow down a second. I'm with you. I understand how horrible this is. I think God is uh, so eager to do this because he sees what worry does to us. He knows that even though it is understandable, it also doesn't particularly benefit our lives. Rather, in many ways, worry takes away from our lives. In uh, verse 27, Jesus says, Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? In some translations, it says, Can any of you by worrying add a single cubit to their height? In other words, can you remember when you were growing up at school and maybe you were worried that you weren't as tall as the other kids and you went home and tensed all your muscles and strained like crazy in a hope to force your body to grow? Didn't work, did it? And in a similar way, Jesus says worrying will certainly make you strain and may even make you stress and, and sweat <laughs> and it will exert a great deal of energy and effort, but the effects will not be worth it because it won't it won't add a single hour to your lifespan. In many ways, actually, intense worry will do the opposite. Worrying can take away from our life. It can suck the enjoyment out of life. Have you ever been to a party or been on holiday or passed some beautiful landscape or sat and watched a superb horror movie, and yet you are so worried about something you have missed all of the goodness that was before you? This isn't, to this isn't even to mention the amount of sleep um, worry can steal right from us. Now, um, I want to say a quick uh, proviso here, which I mentioned last week, is that when I'm, I'm talking about general worry here, I'm not talking about people who are suffering from anxiety or depression and those sorts of that's That's a kind of different ballgame, really, which you should get support and help uh, from medical professionals. But what I'm mainly focusing on in, in many ways is the type of worry that I can sometimes have, and maybe you can have too which can distract me from living my life, and also to try and preempt how am I, how am I going to deal with my life when re real, undoubted worries come, because they will, to all of us. Some of you out there are struggling to sleep at night, because there's so much going through your mind. You are replaying conversations you've had, you're rehearsing conversations you might have in the future. And then you're panicking that you're not falling asleep and that you'll be exhausted for another day, which in itself causes you to worry. It's this vicious cycle, which means that not only does worry not add to your life, it's actually removing hours from your life. And I mean, literally, stress is linked to so many health conditions that can actually lower your life expectancy by being so distracted with worries, even though it's understandable. So my point is, it's not a shock to find that the Bible is concerned about this. If it's concerned about us, it's concerned about the things that will affect our lives negatively. And so the Bible is filled with verses about God wanting to help us to deal with and even remove the burden of worry. One of my favorites, uh, the verses in um, 1 Peter 5 verse 7, which says, Cast all your anxiety on him, that's God, because he cares for you. I quite like that idea. That idea of saying, I don't have to hold this anxiety myself. There is somebody with me who can carry it with me as well, or even for me at those times when it's too much. Before I was a Christian, um, I was really anti-church. Some of you know that already. I always assumed that when God said things like, do not worry or do not be afraid, it was like him being bossy, telling me what to do and telling me off if I ever was to get worried. But instead, now I tend to know better, I think. I've known the character of Jesus and I realized that 
the motivation for these things is because he cares for me. That's the message. And in the same way that you, if you had a little kid petrified of going to the dentist, particularly if that dentist was Steve Martin or Corbin Burnson um, from the film The Dentist. Have you seen that? What a film. <laughs> but I doubt that you would stand in the waiting room saying, listen to me, child, you're embarrassing me with your worry about getting a filling. Now sort yourself out and get in there and let that dentist slam a needle into your gum and hack into the root of your most sensitive tooth and grow up and deal with it. Do we really think that's what God's attitude to us is when we're in trouble? A good parent or a good guardian would never say that to a kid. So how much more um, would God be if we're struggling? Um, my point is God's motivation to help us and be here is not to kind of sort this out and get us on the right track um, in terms of, you know, behavior. It's actually, it's fueled by love and care, not by anger and correction. And so when Jesus says things like, don't let your hearts be troubled, uh, it's from a caring point of view, but it's still easier said than done. And I guess the key for me, perhaps when I think about this, is all about trying to see things from a wider and bigger perspective. Because even when, um, even though God might be described as like the mountain mover, let's say, I don't know about you, but I find myself, I'm, much, I'm very um, good at focusing on the mountain itself rather than the concept of a mountain mover. The problem itself becomes my main focus. Let me give you an example. It's like my daughter. When she was really little, she used to freak out with loud sounds. No joke, we were in a toilet at a service station once. And you know, the hand dryer went off. And you know what hand dryers were like? Um, they, it used to be a time when they were really, they were rubbish. You just put your hand under it and the electric hand dryer would be like, and it would be, it would be pathetic. You know, it wouldn't dry your hands off. You'd end up having to dry your hands on your trousers instead. Always your own trousers, of course. Don't dry them on someone else's, you'll get arrested. Um, but, you know, they were rubbish. But then I remember, well, maybe like 15 years ago or so, they certainly introduced these kind of jet-powered NASA propulsion laboratory type ones where you put your hand over underneath and it would be... It would be like something taken off. And... Uh, they're so powerful. They're noisy. You, you you kind of think, man, if I pull my hands back, I think I'm just going to see skeleton there <laughs> and, and a pool of pool of quivering skin on the floor. Nice image. So so you get the point, right? When my kid was little, we were going to like public toilets, you know, if we're out at a restaurant or whatever. And this time we were at a motorway services and uh, the, the sound of this dryer just kept going off. <laughs> And she was so scared, she threw herself on the floor. Like someone had just given her the four-minute warning, like, you know, a nuclear bomb was about to drop. And I'm like, what are you doing rolling around on the floor of a public toilet? <laughs> Don't do that. And then the dryer would go off again, and she would wail in fear. And those dryers are loud. When you put your hands under some of them, they're so strong. You know, like you kind of, you, you brace yourself for the sound. You go, here we go. But... Whenever I hear those dryers, I, I do not throw myself on the urine-soaked floor, do you? Quite the contrary, in many ways, I'm super chill. <laughs> I know that the hand dryer is loud, but I also know that it's not going to kill me. In other words, I have perspective. 
And I think this may be the thing that Jesus is getting at here. When the Bible tells us to kind of chill out a bit, not to worry, in, in many ways you could say that is a ridiculous ask. Because the Bible, you could say the Bible clearly doesn't understand human pain then. You know, the Bible is, it, 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 it's obviously being very superficial. How can you not worry in this life? I don't think the Bible is saying that. Because the, it's stuffed with verses of people who understand human agony, who go through it, who stand in solidarity with the oppressed, with people in the Psalms, for example, who who are very enthusiastic about expressing how terrible and crap life can be. There are people in there who curse the day they were born. People who say, God, you can't be there. God, you must be cruel. You must be powerless or tone deaf. But interestingly, the Psalms tend to shift. The people say things are falling apart. Life is a nightmare. And it really is. You know, I've lost my, my, my livelihood, my health, my friends. I've, I'm hunted by horrible people. You don't have to put a happy face on that sort of stuff. But then the Psalms have this like little word in them, yet. And it's like this perspective hinge where the psalmist says, I am genuinely worried. And yet, and yet, I'm going to try and look to the heavens and ask for a peace that transcends all understanding. I'm going to trust somehow. I'm going to look for a sense of well-being, even though everything around me tells me this should not be a time for hope. I think perspective is pretty interesting, actually. It's something that we learn as we grow up. Like my daughter in the hand dryer, you know, she's learned to be chilled out about that. But as kids, we are prone to have irrational fears. Like once when my son was really little, he got scared because he'd been learning about sharks. And um, he was really little. I think we watched a show on it or something. Shark Week, maybe. Maybe I showed him a clip of uh, Jaws, <laughs> probably. Anyway, in his bedroom that night, he said to me, uh, Daddy, like, yeah. He said, can, can a shark come into my bedroom? And I just said, only if you're naughty. <laughs> not really. Um, I said, no, absolutely not. I could have easily said, you idiot. How's a shark going to get here? Unless it's the d demon shark, of course, from Creepy Cove. I don't know. But no, I said, it's impossible. They need water for a start. And plus, none of our shark friends have a key to this house, but <laughs> not that I know of. No, I'm only kidding. What my point was, I, 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 I was reminded about perspective. I wouldn't even, when I lie in bed at night and I'm worried, do you know what? It's been a long time, if not ever, that I've lain there thinking, oh crap, I hope a shark doesn't get me tonight. And as we grow older, we start to learn this skill of perspective, of saying, hey, the horrible thing I'm going through at the moment is genuinely horrible. But what happens if it's not the end of the story? And that is not easy. I, I find it hard to get perspective sometimes. And I think the radical message of the Bible is that we can, we can do this, that we can change our perspective. We might find that things that scare and worry us aren't, aren't actually as bad as we think. Now, understandably, you might be saying, you don't know my life. You're right, I don't. And I'm not suggesting that the world is, um, you know, not filled with agony and heartache because it is. But let me, can I give you an example? What do you think is the scariest topic in the world? What is the thing that causes the ultimate fear for people? Well, you might have your own ideas. 
Maybe it's not having Wi-Fi. Maybe it's uh, losing your job. Maybe it's being punched by your partner. Maybe it's being told bad news from a doctor. Or maybe it's death. See how I went through the scale there? For me, death is scary. Death is the worry for me, to be honest. I find the thought of other people dying, I find the idea shocking and distressing. The idea of myself dying, I find existentially disturbing and frightening. It's one of the reasons I'm so into horror. It's a way of me playing with the topics that really scare me. And I do not care whether I'm a Christian or not. The idea of people dying freaks me out. And when I really think about it, you know, some, some Christians are, some Christians I meet are super relaxed about this topic. You know, it's like when, when Christians die, they'll say like, I, I'll hear, I've heard them say things like, I'm going to glory. I've sat with really elderly people who haven't had long to live and they flick through the Bible like it's a holiday brochure. They can't wait to get to heaven, see old friends and family and to walk upstairs without bones cracking anymore. True. Some old people are very scared of death, but some I have met seem prepared for it, even willing and eager for it to come. Not me. I'm not young by any stretch, but I'm not old. Well, <laughs> not proper old. My parents are still alive. My siblings are still alive. I have seen a few of my friends die when I was younger, which was awful but the majority of my friends are alive and healthy. I have lots I still want to do. And the thought of death breaking into that is offensive and terrifying. Yet, yet, in the face of all this, I look at the words of the Bible that say something quite subversive, that even the ultimate death is not as scary as it looks. <laughs> now, I'm not trying to belittle death at all. I've just explained to you how much death freaks me out and uh, shocks me. And anyone dealing with death or that of the, the death of a loved one will obviously feel great anguish. But the Bible keeps reminding us uh, that, or, or giving us this, this idea, this, this, this hope, that death won't be the end of our story. Listen to a few handful of verses. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 55 says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Uh, Revelation 21 says, uh, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And then, of course, if you don't believe in this sort of thing, you would say, well, you know, that wouldn't give me comfort because I don't believe it, and I, I respect that. And, of course, you may be right, that maybe there isn't something after death and maybe God doesn't exist. That is entirely possible. Of course it is. Um, but all I'm saying is, uh, whether it's true or not, I just get great comfort from the thought that it could be. I think the classic way of describing it is Pascal's wager in philosophy. The idea that you have something to gain, in a sense, the peace of mind at the potential of life after death. And uh, if it turns out that you're wrong, but of course, it wouldn't really make much difference because by, by the time you realized you were wrong, you'd be kind of dead and wouldn't notice you were wrong. But, uh, but no, but seriously, though, if, let me put it this way. If I go to the doctors tomorrow and the doctor says to me, 
Mr. Laws, I have some good news and some bad news. The good news is you have 24 hours to live. And the bad news is I was supposed to tell you that yesterday. <laughs> I thank you. That's my favorite joke. But anyway, but if I did that, right, if, if I went to see the, the doctor and he said that to me, um, I, I, I would be devastated, Christian or not. I know I would, st I would struggle to get my keys out of my pocket to get back in the car. You know, if I was told I had a, you know, weeks to live or something, driving home and trying to explain that to tell my children, my wife, my mom, my dad, my friends, you know, my brother and sister, all of the, it's just beyond belief how shocking this is. Um, and so if that happens, you've got to appreciate how bad it is. But then in the midst of these legitimate and understandable worries, God has this kind of habit of saying, shift the perspective a little, of saying, I totally understand why you're scared and worried. And indeed, I will scream and wail with you. Just like Jesus sweating drops of blood in stress before the cross like we talked about last time. But then there's this addition, this idea that this too shall pass, that the cross is not the end for Jesus and that the great horrors of our life may not be the end for us, even death, that there's hope. At John 16, 33 says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So there's no denying that there won't be trouble. There will be, and there is. But there can be this sense of light somewhere, even in the darkness. So I suppose the message of this week and uh, the last time we spoke is just stop worrying. You'd be fine. <laughs> Job done. Well, no, it's not quite like that. It's not as easy as that. That's the entire point. Um, it's not easy to just stop worrying. In fact, some of us are compulsive worriers. If we had nothing to worry about, we'd be worried about that. And I think Jesus points to a solution in verse 30, where he says that people are worried because um, he kind of talks about like a lack of faith. And I don't think that means in the kind of faith healer type way that if you believe enough, you'll unlock the miracles that will sort you out. The more impressive your faith, the more happy your life will be. That's not necessarily what I'm saying. And so faith, having that sense of trust, that's where the shift of perspective comes. And retraining our mind to say, you know what, even if I don't get my dream job, maybe my life will not be a failure because of it. Even if my relationship doesn't work out as terrible as that is, and yet, it doesn't mean that I have nothing to offer. And even if the doctor says I have two months to live, it does not mean that my life is going to be over. Because I'm choosing to have a sense of trust and faith that maybe this desert won't be the last place I see. Now, that is pretty radical thinking. And for some people, um, it's just too much. You know, it's like, I can't go there. But for others, it can bring a profound sense of peace and it can take effort sometimes. And that fits in with Jesus' example of the birds and the flowers. Can you remember in the last uh, service where I said that the secret to peace, Jesus was saying, was to be like the trees and the birds, to settle into being who we are. And I think it's possible to misunderstand Jesus in that and saying, if he wants us to be like uh, birds and flowers, and he talks about clo clothing the birds and the flowers, 
Does that mean the key to not worrying, the key to faith is just to sit back and kind of wait for manna from heaven and wait for God to sort things out? Don't bother buying food, for example. Just wait for a chicken casserole to drop from the sky. Or presume that God will pay your bills automatically. Well, no, that's not quite how it works. Because think about the birds. He's telling us to be like the birds and the, and the flowers. Are birds lazy? No. You know, they don't just sit around in their nest, like kicking back and reading Fangoria, like waiting for a worm to climb up the tree and sacrificially place themselves into the bird's beak. <laughs> That's not how birds work. Now, have you noticed that? That, you know, if God does exist and he, made, and he made the world and everything, he didn't really make it easy in terms of like, he puts the bird in the tree and he puts the worm in the ground. And so there has to be some sort of effort between the two. It's not just there on a plate for them. And uh, I think this is a good principle for me, at least, uh, that, you know, complete peace of mind doesn't just come with a click of the finger. Sometimes it comes with a kind of reprogramming of the mind and a willingness to think, you know, I don't always have to slip into negativity. And I think God provides a lot of resources um, for, as he does with the birds and they are proactive in finding them. And I want to try and be the sort of person who can be proactive in finding hope in my life. Because uh, maybe the best principle is to simply take each day as it comes, which is an important principle when it comes to worry. Jesus sums it up in verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Again, it's back to distraction. Being worried about tomorrow, getting stressed out of things that haven't even happened yet and may never happen, actually. Jesus says the key is to take each day as it comes, to concentrate on building that faith, that perspective shift, the yet in our life. Um, verse 33, you know, talks about seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. Uh, the idea is like the more we focus on God and hope, um, the less fragmented perhaps our minds might be. Well, look, you may find this interesting. You may find it annoying. I don't know. Feel free to get in touch to say what you think. But let me just draw this to a close by sharing a story. There's a writer and a speaker called Charles Price who tells a good story about two photographs who were entered for a competition. The subject of the competition was peace, and the people who entered the, um, the contest had to try and depict peace in pictorial ways. And uh, one of the entries was a photograph of a calm and serene lake. The setting sun was hanging in the sky. The grass was pure green. The lake still and beautiful. Peace was the title, and that picture won second prize. Another picture was at the edge of the cliff by a sea. A little bit like around here at Creepy Cove. And the sky was black and angry looking. And the sea was raging and the waves looked terrifying. And among the rain and the wind, there was a little cleft in the rock of the cliff. And in that cleft sat a seagull, sitting on its nest, protecting its chicks and holding them together. And that photograph won the first prize. Peace. When Jesus says, don't worry, I don't think it means he's saying the storm will suddenly vanish or that you should act as if storms aren't a big deal. That would be very weird. It'd be so weird if you weren't stressed out by some of the things that are happening in your life. Like Seth, if you were totally dealing with this fly thing as if it was a walk in the park, I'd be shocked because it's normal to struggle. But it also means that there is a strange liberating power when we shift perspective when we start to realize it's possible to have peace, even in the darkest of storms. But this is a peace that's beyond our understanding. 
And I think that's the thing, really. The horrible situations that you're in right now, um, it makes sense that you, you're not finding peace. And in a way, the Bible isn't even asking you to find understandable, logical peace. But there is an offer of supernatural calm that's available. And I have to say, I've experienced this in my life. I've had moments of, of, of real stress and fears and tears and shivers. And uh, there's been moments and times when I shouldn't have felt any peace at all, and yet peace has come. And I'm sitting there thinking, I can't figure this out. I can't figure out why I'm okay right now. But it helps. And I hope that this piece might help you too, no matter who you are or what you're going through. Even if you're turning into a fly, who knows what might come beyond that. Well, I'm going to invite Mary Henry to play for us while we spend a moment in prayer and meditation. So Mary, if you uh, could play, thank you. Okay, well, as uh, we're just kind of getting in the zone, relaxing a little, let me tell you that many years ago, when I hadn't been a Christian for very long, I went through a situation I found very stressful and worrying, and I really wasn't sure what to do about it. And I was in a nightclub one night. I was thinking about this situation and how it really, it was oppressing me, you know. And at the time I realized that I need a perspective shift. I need to cast my anxieties on God, whatever that means. You know, at the time I wasn't fully sure what it was. And in some ways I'm a Christian now, it's still a mystery. But I realized I, I, I needed to do that. And so I found a space in the club, away from people. I sat down by myself and I closed my eyes and I pictured myself with a box. And we're going to do the same thing now, right now with you. So close your eyes. You're in a nightclub. It's called the After Dark Club. And this place is surrounded with garish pink and green lights and the sounds of speakers that are loud and distracting. There's no way you could find peace in here, especially since a vampire Grace Jones works here. That's another story. This place is intense and distracting. And yet, you find yourself a space you sit down at a table and you visualize yourself with a shoebox. Look down at this box on your lap in this club. Run your fingers across it. Feel the weight. It's empty. Now take off the lid and look at the space in there. There's room for things in there. Now, look through your pockets and you'll find a collection of small trinkets and objects. You, have cho you can choose what these things are. The important thing is let each of them be a representation, a symbol of what you are worried about today. Just go through those things that you've got. What are those worries and what are the symbols of those worries? Right now, as I did in that nightclub many years ago, I want you to picture yourself picking each of those worries up and one by one, placing them gently into this box. I'm going to give you a moment to do that. Some of you may have a lot of worries to place in there.
Okay. And now they're all inside. There's room for them all, by the way. Grab the lid and place it on the top. And the lid isn't taped shut. It's not like these worries have vanished from your life. They can easily be opened again. You could easily ponder them. But instead, you choose to lift that box up. And you're going to leave them at this empty bar. They're not gone forever. But the point is, they're not in your pockets weighing you down right now. With that symbol in mind, let's pray. God, the Bible uh, says to cast all our anxieties on you because you care for us. Well, we're not fully sure exactly how to do that, but we're giving it a go. We're trying to do that now. You know what we've just put in that box. You know how seriously this stuff is stressing us out. And it is so easy for us to get distracted by them day after day. And you understand that. You get it. You don't belittle us because of it. But we also recognize that our incessant worry may not be adding to our life. In fact, it could be subtracting. And so God, would you take this box? And would you share in our anxieties and our worries? And as you do that, as it comes from our pockets and into yours, could you give us a shift in perspective so that we, we might, through your Holy Spirit, even now, experience a peace that transcends all understanding. Amen. Well, thanks uh, for listening to that. Now, we're going to uh, close our service by having a song by the band. And uh, the song that we're going to sing is based on this idea of all these people in the, in the Psalms and in just real life who have these horrible experiences, but there's, there's this chance of a change of perspective, finding the yet, you know, that, that change. Um, but that's not easy to find, and sometimes it feels impossible to find. It finds so hard to, to see the different shift in perspective, and it can be so elusive, this yet, that frankly, it's like searching for the yeti. <laughs> see what I did there? The yeti. Yeah. So here's a song to symbolize the search for that perspective shift. And it's uh, called Help Me Find the Yeti.
on my knees God, you promised you'd come I am coming undone And I get the impression I never will find it I'm crying too much I am losing my mind Do you even exist? It's a joke that you care Must you always exist? There's a tear on my head Do you laugh when I cry? Do you notice my pain? Do you hear my praise? I will say Or Frank Peretti No, help me find the Yeti in the snow Spare me your confetti Your yacht and jetty Okay, well, thank you for coming, everybody. I hope you find your Yeti. Well, thank you for listening to this sermon-only edition of Creepy Cove Community Church Podcast. You can find more sermons, but also full services as well if you wanted to check out creepycove.com. Remember, support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash creepycove or visit creepycove.com and sign up to the Peter Laws newsletter so you can stay in the loop. Have a great week. Take care.